As the global community continues to navigate the COVID landscape, the Africa Study Group is collaborating with Save Africa to explore the current realities of African youths and their perspectives towards a post-COVID climate. The Africa Study Group is an association promoting closer cooperation between Canada and Africa in all relevant domains. More specifically, Save Africa will be working with Adiola Onofua, who describes himself as an African indigenous invested in creating and bridging value to promote the African diaspora in Canada. For today's conversation, we'll be focusing on Nigeria from the perspective of a Nigerian in the diaspora called Chuki. Chuki Ibe is a public policy practitioner, a poet, a researcher, and essayist. Born to Igbo parents in Lagos, he currently resides in Canada, where he works as a policy advisor in the Canadian Public Service. His essays and research explore overlooked and underexamined elements of culture and human societies. He writes about indigeneity, Creole cultures, and indigenous social policy. He blogs at ibezimako.com and is the editor at Chad Magazine, a Creole educational organization. This episode is a continuation of our discussion with Chuki on social safety nets. So far, we've discussed what social safety nets are, the forms they take in different societies, and the opportunities for community or local and federal social safety net programs. If you haven't listened to the first part of our conversation, you can access it on our podcast channel. Today, we will pick up the conversation from where we last left it and talk about the role of the diaspora in sustaining social safety nets and social initiatives in Nigeria. Chiki will speak on how to identify areas where social safety nets are needed in Nigeria, and once these areas have been identified, how to build these social safety nets. To Pod Save Africa. Welcome to Pod Save Africa. Welcome to Pod Save Africa. Welcome to Pod Save Africa. Thanks, Tricky. So it's, uh, man, it's, I love this. I think we have to come back to this for a different podcast because you raised lots of things that I'm just trying to like dive into. Um, you mentioned the role of diaspora, although just a brief hint, it wasn't necessarily an elaborate conversation on diaspora. Um, but I know, you know, everyone talks about diaspora has a role to play in Nigeria's development, especially post-COVID. So I have three questions for you, and I, I don't know how you want to you know, tackle them. Um, you know, I would assume that a, a larger you know, base of our listeners will be in the diaspora. So someone listening to this podcast right now, someone listening to you speak, um, and the question is, well, I'm in the diaspora and I agree with you, you know, I, I think social safety nets and social initiatives are the way to go. How do I begin? How do I play a part? What do I do? You know, what does that look like from the diaspora? What's my involvement? What are the steps I should take? Um, my other question, of course, will come with, well, how do we identify how broad 
you know, these challenges are, or this dark spots that the social safety initiative should go into. You know, we are looking at it from the lens of, we're living in Canada, America and whatnot. So we kind of have an idea, you know, other things are almost like, well, it's just common sense for you not know, to do certain things. So we won't worry about those things. But in Nigeria, for example, bro, everything is just wild, <laughs> you know? Where do you start? <laughs> exactly. So where do we start from? And um, just, can you, can you pick us through a process of, you know what? If I pick one social safety issue, how do I build it? Who are people that are engaging it? And how do we, and how does it look like when we get it done, function? What's the, what's the picture? Right. Whoa. Good questions. Let me let me first start by saying that um, social safety is something that I have studied extensively. It is part of my I, my identity as a citizen, part of my identity as an Igbo person, part of my socialization as an Igbo Catholic. So this, these are things that come very um, very accessibly to me. Uh, but I say that to say that there are people that I look up to in this field and I just adore and I am learning from them all the time. So Dr. Chika uh, Iziai Isiobo is one of the people that, that I study and, and I study her research and her, her analysis and her reports at the United Nations Social Protection Program. There's another place that I go. OECD has a slew of social protection initiatives. Indonesia, Taiwan, um, Rwanda, Kenya has some really interesting programs. So I'm constantly learning, and 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 yes, I and, and yes, I know my stuff. But they're expert, you know, expert day and expert day. You know, like there's there's people who are deep deep in this thing. So so I I, I study them as well, which is the first thing I want to say. And and people who are interested in this topic, I point you to them, and I point you to their resources. Just Google their names, and a bunch of stuff will pop up. The first first question. Now let me answer that is that, you know, and I, I didn't know this, but I'll just give a hint that uh, we're, we're organizing a coalition of the willing young Nigerians who are invested in social safety and want to systematically and intentionally channel funds to local high impact or, or potentially high impact social programs in Nigeria. So we are building, and we are building the institution that will be able to allow us to identify fund in a systematic way using funds from the diaspora and local partnerships uh, to build in a systematic way for the long term and tell the stories of these communities. So that's something that we are, you know, we're, 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 de we're developing as well. So, so look out for that as the program evolves. Some groups that are already on the ground, I think we all saw what the Feminist Coalition did um, in the NTARDS process. So that's one model, right, that I think is very scalable and can be used in, in a very sustainable way. And, and, and I'm not talking here about like bringing Indomie to people who are hungry, right? Like that is very important. Like the immediate charity and immediate relief is important, but I'm talking for, I'm talking about long-term uh, sustainable, uh, sustainable development and growth. And secondly, let me also say, let me also say this. Personally, I have given more in this past year to programs in Nigeria and around the world than ever in my life before. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I know that is not, I know I'm not alone in that criteria. I gave, I gave some money to this group in Senegal and I'm, I have no ties to Senegal at all. I just loved the program they were doing and I literally just put my money there. Um, there's some groups in, in Ibo land that I think are doing some really great stuff. I just put my money there, right? So 
you also don't need like a robust, sophisticated program. Like ask your parents who in your village is doing something dope and just send them money, right? Don't ask questions around, oh, would they use it well, blah, blah, blah. Just send them the money. You know, that's, that's very, very important. The third, the third, the last part of your question about, you know, where do we start? Very hard question. That's also why I pointed you to those resources that I had mentioned. The general way that I look at it is I'm, I'm interested in a couple of things. I'm interested in, in women's empowerment. I'm interested in education. I'm interested in, in um, child welfare and child and children protection. I, when I think about vulnerability, especially in the Nigerian context, those are the first places my mind goes towards. Maybe you're interested in the arts and culture sector. I mean, I think we, ha- we need great, we need, we need to have and invest in our artists that tell our stories. Um, so, but how do you do that in a sustainable, intentional way? I don't have the answers for that just yet. But if you have to decide between feeding a child right now and feeding an artist to tell a story, you know, you need to decide where best that money is spent and how much do you want to give to who. Both of them are very, very important. But that's a question you need to ask yourself as a, as a giver and a funder. And, and this is not me, this is not me um, cryptically saying the child needs the money. Actually, I think you actually need both. You just need to know how to give wisely when you're giving to both. In, you know, also, let me also say this. Let me say this. I say, let me say this all the time before I actually say the thing. But this is that important part. Especially given what has happened. Okay. So a lot of people who come to America and, and come to Canada are largely, not completely, but largely uh, middle class and maybe low to middle class. Uh, maybe we have some, some higher class people there. Uh, but we're, we're coming, a lot of us are coming from Lagos. A lot of us are coming from maybe Port Harcourt. Um, if you lived in if you lived in um, in the southeast, maybe you're coming from Anambra, right? Like there are these there are these migratory patterns that reproduce themselves over a long period of time. So we don't see we actually don't see the whole Nigeria, right? Like I've only been to maybe three or four Nigerian states in the, in the time that I've lived in Nigeria. But when you actually look at you know who are the poorest, most vulnerable, most marginalized people in Nigeria, my mind goes to Alsa girls young Alsa Fulani Muslim girls in the north. Like these are the girls that get kidnapped en masse. They get kidnapped so frequently we forget to cry. Like 200 girls go missing, 300 girls go missing. Like what the hell? You know, we cannot live in a country where that thing happens and we just forget to feel. That, that shit is unacceptable. So I'm really interested in, um, in ensuring that at least with, with, the, with the little we have and what we can do, we are protecting um, girls in the North. We're investing in their education. We're investing in their welfare. As people say, yeah, you're an Igbo man. Focus on your Igbo people. Like, bro, I have two hands and, and, and two feet. I can multitask, right? I can mo- and and we, are, we are so robust as a people and so diverse as a people we can multitask. Not everybody has to be on the same game. All this, uh, bro. See, I'm fired up. Like this is, this is. I'm so passionate about this stuff. You know, we can we can do multiple things, right? So, everybody find your village and support them. Period. Like we don't need to be debating about ethnicity. There's like there's a problem everywhere, and there are solutions everywhere. So we just need to multitask. You know, that's the vibes. That's the vibes. Yeah. And 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 let, let me also add that, especially with this question around the north. There are so many incredible uh, young educators, young 
uh, Northern women, Northern Muslim women educators in the North doing incredible work. Like these are locals who are lived there from their great partnerships. Sometimes, like sometimes the United Nations has visited your village in the North more than you have as a, as a Northern person. So we need to be penetrating and working with our partners in, in that part of the country as well. Um, and this question around ethnicity and blah, 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 like it's important. Like I'm a Nibu man, I've said it like seven times in this pod already. Um, but yes, you need to think about yourself, think about your family, but what happened to the North, we've seen affects everybody in the South and in other parts of the country. So we need to think about it as an exchange across region as well. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not naive to the political realities on the ground. Um, but I'm also alive to the fact that you feed, you, you f for something to grow, you have to feed it. So you have to feed your intention um, and, and build intentionally in, 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 the, in the places we want to see prosper as a country. I, I had a question and you may have already addressed this, but I wanted to speak more to it. Um, so how do we, how do we make people with the help of the social networks, self-sustaining individuals on their own and not have them fully lean on and um, expect everything from this um, social safety networks that develop over time? Yeah, very good question. It's important to have different types of programs for different people at different levels, at different levels of vulnerability. It's also important to empower people so they're not dependent on those programs. And, um, and, and I think there's some basic programs that you should get irrespective of anything else. But fundamentally, the question is, the, the program is the floor and not the ceiling. And, and there are some people who would be hooked on these programs, but that won't be everybody. Right, that, that will actually be like the vast minority of people. So I think, I think we shouldn't limit what we think is possible because of the potential, you know, because of that, that, uh, that element of, of programming. Like it's, it's something that happens yeah. everywhere in the world. And that's not to minimize it. That's not to minimize it at all. Um, but we need to empower people so that they're full agents in their lives through short-term grants, short-term contributions, in addition to long-term ones. But it's also about ensuring you have a sophisticated education system that, can, that supports everybody from the day you are born to wherever you want to end. Uh, we have uh, sufficient entrepreneurship programs that people can access to, that people can get access to. We have healthcare programs. We have strong families, mm -hmm. right? Because I, I, I think one of the, um, one, of, one of my big critiques of a lot of programs that happen in North America and even in Japan and, uh, and some parts of, 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 um, of the Eastern Hemisphere is social programs have, have been designed to privatize the family, right? You have some needs that your, you have some needs that your grandmother can provide, your uh, immediate uh, kin or clan can provide, but because of the way like migration has happened and because of the way people go to cities and people go to urban neighborhoods, like the family in my mind is the core of what a strong social network can do. So if you're able to build up a family, protect them, ensure that they can protect each other, they can keep each other accountable, provide a good community around that family and a good, uh, a good social security program, program around that community, you, more things become possible around uh, that individual who 
uh, who might, might, let me use the word, get addicted to receiving aid and not actually acting out and, and, and providing their own agency. So we need to, we need to ensure that programs are family centered, right? Ensuring that the whole family is healthy and, and, and doing well. Um, and, and trust that individuals have their own unique ways to take care of themselves, but, but not doing it because you think people would be hooked is not, is, is not, is not the answer as well. Excellent. Thank you so much, Yuki. I think, I think sometimes, especially in the media, we overemphasize the, the anecdotal case of somebody, you know, overleaning on a service where to your point, oftentimes a, such a microscopic minority of people that. Um, really, it's just used as a political cudgel for folks who don't want to see pro uh, social programs happen in the first place. Um, exactly. Adela, I'd like to ask if you have any additional questions um, before I ask you a wrap-up one. Um, I mean, well, I have tons of questions. I'm just trying to pick which one exactly you know would 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 hit home. Um, so. I think a key part for me that, you know, is, and, and this is the part where I need some learning on, and Chuki, if you can come in here and just kind of educate me, is I'm more focused on diaspora and building that relationship, you know, building something sustainable. And you had mentioned earlier, just send money home. It doesn't really matter, you know, what the question is or whatever, it's just sending money home. Is that a sustainable activity, number one? Um, number two is, how big, how big an impact, how big a role is a diaspora meant to play as compared to people back home, the local individuals who are actually facing the bulk of the issues? You know, I know, yes, we talk about collaborations and whatnot, but in measurements, um, is it a thing of, well, you help yourself first and then we can come in when we see you're serious, when we see you're actually about it, or we come in and we say, guys, no, this is not the way it should be, you know, this is, a, this is the way it should be based on our exposure and whatnot. So let's work together and redesign it. So who, who takes the lead? It's easy to say, well, it should be a joint venture, but in any joint venture, someone initiates something. So who takes the lead? Who initiates what? And that's what I want to understand. Yeah, so we'll start by saying that people have already started, right? right? So it's not that we're building the wheel from the ground. Uh, I'll point you to this one lady, um, and I'll, I'll call her name because she's incredible. Her name is Amarachi Atama. She creates this festival called the Oja Development Initiative in um, in in uh, what's well, in the southeast of Nigeria. She does it in Enugu, um, but she also rotates uh, from state to state. It's the program is quite beautiful. Right, this is a woman who was educated in the University of Nsukka, and she does a couple of things. First of all, she teaches. She does Igbo literacy promotion, right? So she goes to schools and uh, encourages young people to speak their language, right? Speak the local language because Igbo is, a, Igbo is a dying language. In addition to that, she teaches you how to be an Igbo entrepreneur. So how do you take your local artifacts, your local dances, your local songs, and turn them into business opportunities? How do you take local Igbo fashion and turn them into business opportunities? Um, and then she, she rotates this Igbo cultural festival, which is a major uh, economic stimulus into the regions that she takes it to, where Igbo children are basically just living proudly, living their full proud lives, local dances, songs, ceremonies. She does a fundraiser every year to ask local people to donate so she can, uh, she can put on this show for the kids. 
this show cost, I don't know how much it costs, at least a couple hundred thousands of Naira. She's employing sound designers, employing, she's hiring speakers, hiring clowns, hiring masquerades. She's paying people cash for jobs, right? Like this is not a joke. So a bunch of me and my friends, I, I, I literally just DM'd like five popular Igbo social media influencers. I said, hey folks, let's get together. Let's do a fundraiser for Marachi and let's send the money back home to her, right? And this is a woman that I've struck a really good, respectful uh, relationship with. Um, and you were, we're planning, we're like tomorrow we have a call to, to, like, to get this fundraiser ready for her. And I think that's the model, right? That's one example of, of how we can do this thing, right? It's actually not, it's like just sliding to people's DM and say, hey, I think you're cool. I love what you're doing back home. Would you like to, you know, like, what do you need? This is what I can offer. These are my constraints. Is, is what is possible, right? I, I, think, I think it's important to sometimes take the theory out of this, the debate and just really think about it from like, what are values, you know, and what do we need to make those things? happen again feminist core showed us what was possible right and and this question around giving right it's as much an exercise for you as it is an opportunity for the person receiving we just have to teach ourselves how to give right and it's also this question of citizenship right i think we take citizenship is not just voting but it is the intentional act for being in community with the people in your neighborhood it is the love and the care for your neighbors and your personal investment in their well-being and success, right? That is, the, that is what citizenship is. I don't care about if you vote or not, that's up to you, right? So we need to teach ourselves how to be citizens. First thing is you give $10. Next thing is you give more. Wherever your belly reach, whenever your belly full, wherever your muscle end, that is up to you, right? But, but you don't not do it because it is hard. And then lastly, I'll say that, it's not for everybody. Some people are just to give, that's okay. Some people are organizing, that's good. Some people are amplifying on social media, that's good. So everybody, stay your own lane, play your own part. The leaders need to step up and lead because it is about time. There's so many of us sitting on our asses, just doing the least, right? But we'll be the first to turn up at, at, uh, at, uh, at uh, what's it called? It's one of those first, dirty, 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 Dirty December, right? <laughs> I'm with them. I'm with them as well. But like, you know, we have to like, it's not just, it's not just turn up in December. What happens from January to, to November? You know, like that is the level of engagement we're looking for. And I hold myself to that same account as well, right? Like I've started giving much more and we're building the institution that will allow other people to do it in a systematic level. And I did, let me go back to one of the earlier questions you said, and I'll be brief with this is that if you're looking for, like if you don't want to like do all the research of the people that I had mentioned and blah, 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 just look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. They have told you what the priority areas are. They probably have a local plan for your country. Start there, start there. Find out what organizations they are supporting and just see if you can give $10 as well. Thank you so much. Okay. I think having an action plan for like, hey, here's where you start. Like when you're done listening to this podcast, open in fact, while you're listening to it, pull it up and, and open it and get a sense of how you can be impactful. 
And, you know, to, to, to your point, I think we're all hold, doing a lot of holding up the mirror to ourselves and saying, you know, what exactly am I doing? And I, am I doing as much as I could be? Yeah. My, my like, final, don't, don't wait. Don't, don't wait for the crisis. Yes. Don't, don't like so many people are, are waiting for the crisis and then we get inspired. Mm-hmm. It has like your citizenship has to be devotional. It has to be intentional. It has to be. And when you need to take a break, take a break. If you have midterms, you have exams, if you're like your crush broke your heart, whatever, like I get it. But pick yourself back up and move. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Chicky. My final question to, to kind of wrap up the podcast on one way, incredibly grateful for having this conversation. I think it's been one, solutions oriented, but two, possibilities oriented, which honestly isn't part enough part of the discourse nowadays. Um, it's all drab and gloom um, for good reason, but um, it's good to have this reflection that shows us what's possible. Our final question for you kind of on in that vein is that given all that you've seen on ground with, with social programs and, and all that you think it's possible, you know, what are you most optimistic about with regards to developing the social safety net and perhaps about the, the general ecosystem in, in Nigeria, the broader African continent? And then uh, the, the flip, flip of the coin is really what are you most worried or pessimistic about? What's the biggest threat? Right. I maintain the position that something is only possible if you choose to make it possible, right? Whether something is possible or impossible, you are both right. And it is both your choice. When I saw, when I saw what the feminist coalition did during the entire protest, that thing just inspired so many possibilities in my mind not just the system they set up from the giving standpoint, but our willingness to give, right? That shit was inspiring, right? I remember I was Jola uh, who said in, in three weeks, we, ha- like we had our own local government in three weeks. We had our own security. We provided our own food. We provided our own power, provided our own, you know, legal system, <laughs> Like, bro, we built our own city and we were not even thinking. What happens when we start thinking? You know, like, you know, like, so, so those, those are the possibilities. Like, we, it was so instinctual. It was just so natural. And, and part of what I was saying before with the social security thing is human beings have been doing it since the beginning of time. It's just so natural to us. So, so that, that's what... That's what I'm hopeful for. I'm, 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 I'm optimistic because we have started to see the possibility and there are people who are acting already. People have been acting. Um, but I think we are, we are, we're not there yet, but we are almost reaching a critical enough mass. And when people are able to mobilize, we can overwhelm incompetency. Not even by running for office or, or, or running for government, blah, blah, that stuff is later. But we can show ourselves what we can do for ourselves by ourselves. That is just the first step, right? And I mentioned there's so many people on the ground already doing work from the people I mentioned in the north to Amarachi in the east, right? Like there's so many great folks already working. So we need to, we need to meet those people with the energy that they deserve to be met with and the respect that they deserve to be met with. What I am worried about is the same patterns 
that produce a a successful diaspora abroad also reproduces deep insecurity in Nigeria. And the more diaspora we get abroad, the more insecurity we get back home because it is the exact same demographic patterns. The people who become kidnappers of, of school children are just the opposite, the flip of the coin of the people who become chemical engineers in Oxford. It's the same, it's the same demographic pattern. It's just who has opportunity and who doesn't. It's the same face of the exact same coin. And if we don't harness the potential, that potential will implode us from the inside. And the stakes are that high. And I, and I don't use this example of kidnapping girls lightly. I take it very seriously. With our young population, with the deep level of unemployment, the deep level of political insecurity, with the restlessness, with secession here, there, and the other, all these things are powered by the insecurity and the vulnerability of young people in the country. We are a country of young people. We are a continent of young people. And if that energy isn't put in the right place, it becomes a tinderbox waiting to explode. So our success in the diaspora is just, is just the coin tossing way from insecurities at home. But at the same time, at home, we're also seeing great innovation by, by others, like the, you know, the other side of these young people, whether, you know, like Babcock grads, University of Nsukar grads, University of Ibadan grads, like these people are doing incredible work as well. Even the people who don't have a university degree, like your local engineer is probably creating something quite, and I don't mean this in like a rah-rah optimistic way. I mean, the level of ingenuity, the level is I wasn't educated, so I'm going to teach myself shit because I need to protect my family. Don't take that thing for granted, man. Like respect those people and give them their due. And, and we, we diaspora often think that we have the solution. And some of us do, some of people like me have fancy social protection programs, but there's a th- degrees in social protection programs, but there's the theory, right? But there's like what Amarachi is doing in the East. That shit is practical, right? She's in the streets, supporting people, helping people. So the question is, yeah, this is, this is who I am. This is what I can offer. These are my limitations and my constraints. Um, may I be of assistance? And, and you meet, meet people with that energy. And, and, and lastly, well, maybe second to lastly, because I want to end on an optimistic note, is that us diaspora too sometimes are the problem where right? we talked before that many of these people in that government right now, Oxford grads, Harvard grads, you know, like these people are like, they are diaspora too now. They're diaspora that came back, right? Diaspora before us, trained in Ivy League colleges abroad in the colonial era. So don't think because you have a degree, you somehow have a pass on stupidity. All of us, they, you know, they, all, they all jam all of us together, right? Um, so we need, we need our own, you know, personal governance, right? Like when I mean personal, I mean like, how do you govern yourself? And, 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 and you know, how do we create institutions that hold, that hold us accountable from our worst instincts, right? Like whoever you put in that office in Nigeria, I don't, reproduce the same type of person because of just the way the institution is set up. It's, you know, we don't need to talk about it too much because we know what it is. But much is possible. 
right? I, I remember Wali Lawal from the Republic in the middle of the NSARS protest, I also tweeted that um, he was just looking forward to what types of initiatives that will come up as a response to the NSARS uh, movement and the NSARS protest and the organizing both on the digital diaspora and local level. And so am I, I'm so optimistic because I know much is possible and I have seen examples of possibility and uh, we, have to, we have to feed the things we wanna see grow. And that's on period. If you've been inspired by the conversation so far and are looking to find and support or looking to develop a social safety program, according to the World Bank, there are several different types you can be on the lookout for. These include cash transfer programs, which could be conditional or conditional to the receiver's actions. For cash transfer programs, money is sent to recipients to support them, either based on a condition they must fulfill or not. A lot of social protection programs in Africa are cash transfer. For example, the South Africa's Child Support Grant Program. Another type of social safety program is the in-kind transfers. And similar to cash transfers, where the government or the agency provides support through spending. The difference here is in-kind transfers take the form of goods and services that are gotten at a free or reduced rate, including health or education subsidies, energy, water, and housing subsidies. For instance, the government subsidizes certain, certain services for specific populations. For example, Ghana's National Health Insurance Scheme fee exemption. In-kind transfers can also be conditional or conditional. Uh, a third form of social safety net programs are public work programs. And these are programs that employ the vulnerable and pay them with cash or food. The vulnerable are employed in pu uh, for public work purposes. An example of these is uh, one of the components of the Rwanda's Vision 2020 Umurenga program, which include public work programs. So the question was, is giving really sustainable? And should we depend on the diaspora to give, right? Does the government become, does the government also become a welfare addict? Right. And, and stop performing their duties to the people because they've seen that the diaspora is giving. Um, first question is, what is the government actually doing? Right. So like, does this take us to a worse state? All right. Um, so if the, if the government isn't providing those necessary services and we give, they don't really stop doing anything because they never started doing it in the first place. Right. And it's also based on the assumption that at some point in the near future, we expect the government to actually start doing their job. So, I mean, if, if folks have those assumptions that at some point in the next future, we expect to see like a national social program from the federal government of Nigeria that um, can uh, reach every single part of our country. So we're not going to give because we're, um, we're expecting or gambling on this future that will likely not exist. I think that's just not a personal calculation that I'll make personally. Um, to this question around um, 
yeah, where like where young people in the diaspora hustling, making money, living our lives, are we really dependent? Why should we be like taxed with this question of development and and giving on a continuous basis? And and I and I I think you're, and I think you're not right. Like this is everybody's choice. I've I've picked this up because I choose to, right? And I picked this up because I care deeply about not even development of Nigeria, but I care about, I just care about people. And I care about ensuring that vulnerable people are protected. And not every, and I don't mean that in, I don't mean to sound, make myself sound like a saint or make other people sound like, like, like they're not saints. But I think as everybody just pick their own, like, you know, we, we can multitask. Everybody pick your own job and do it and do it well. Um, is giving sustainable, right? Is giving sustainable in the short, medium and long-term. It's definitely good for immediate relief in the short term, but is diaspora giving a viable solution for development in the long term? I do, I do not know. And I do not, and I hope we never get to know. And I hope that uh, governments step up meaningfully in the next, let's just say the next election, right? Like, cause that's really the timelines we're working on. I do know that things are getting worse. Right. I do know that its security is rising. I do know that climate change is, the worst of climate change has not hit us. Um, I do know that uh, girls are still being kidnapped. Um, and, um, and I don't know that my $5 a year would do anything about that. And the goal here is not to save Nigeria or protect Nigeria or rescue Nigeria from itself. Like, to me, that's, that's, that's not the goal. The goal is to ensure that um, my grandmother is able to rest in peace because she's not afraid of insecurity. My goal is for that young girl in the North to, to get a chance, right? To get a chance at not being a bride of a terrorist, right? Like those are, those are the stakes here. Um, and for, and for pe people don't want to, to, to give, that's, that's completely okay. But for the people who do want to, um, I think the question is, and the possibility is, how do we do it intentionally? Right? How do we do it with the right local partners? How do we partner up with the willing in government, right? Those bureaucrats. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of really cool people, even in the diaspora, people who go back and work for government. So I think the answer there is there are some of us who have those additional skills of networking, of building, and of, of developing. So if you are one of those people, go forth and be dope, right? Make those connections on behalf of all of us and create the boat that other people can jump on, right? If that person only has $5 a day, give, right? If you only have $5 a year, give. If you have a hundred bucks, give. But in addition to giving, give well, right? Um, what organizations are doing good work and how do you sustain them? What is their track record? Um, you know, cause I, I, don't, I don't see the scenario where I give to like one of the groups that I've mentioned and they're buying three or four GSMs. The people I give, I have full confidence that they are investing right back into their communities. And does this make for long-term sustainable growth? I don't know, we haven't, we haven't seen it yet. Um, but what I know that it does is it provides, it provides a network for social action. It provides a deep socialization process. It provides a culture of mutual aid and mutual trust. Um, it provides a community and a community consciousness 
And those things, bro, are just as important, if not the, the, the definition of development. I don't see it as that fancy skyscraper. I see it as a people aware of their potential, working every day to actualize that potential. Um, and giving, the last thing I'll say on this is giving to me is, and it's, it's not that the giving the cash is the thing, but it's the culture, right? It's the culture of, I am able to participate in something bigger than myself. I see the value in other people. I can build partnerships. I can invest in something. I can, you know, it's like, that's what it means. It's the, the amount is not too important. It is the belief that through collective action, something better than what we have now is possible. And I think it's that idea. So maybe, I over, or maybe I'm over, overemphasizing on the dollar amount of what you're giving. But I think at the fundamental part of it is awakening in us that belief that we are active, we are active agents in our life. You cannot put a dollar on that stuff. That stuff is the things, is the things civilizations are made of. So, so what I hear, thanks, Tricky. What I hear is network ecology, um, and I mean that's I'm, I'm not going to go into that definition and all of that. I mean it's network ecology, just grouping together by ecology, of course. You know uh, relationships existing between environments and and organisms in the environment. Um, the reason why I raise that up is because. We talk about you know everyone moving along the same line or along the same agenda, which is to better the lives of people. Maybe not Nigeria, but this is where I want us to pay attention to the conversations there or the definitions there. The people, not Nigeria. Um, maybe not, not, not. Yeah, and but the disagreements between multitasking and everyone doing their own thing or everyone doing whatever it is they think it is that would make Nigeria move forward or the people move forward. Those disagreements. Um, have effects in the network ecology. And I'll give you a perfect example. When I was in Ghana and we had, you know, uh, uh, a developmental initiative representing the Canadian government, we were giving out money to entrepreneurs if they partook in a process of education, entrepreneurship. Now, there were other groups there from the Swedish government, from the, uh, the, the, the German government, the American government and all that stuff doing similar things or seeing similar modules, but we had different approaches. Now, what people there were doing was they were looking for the easiest way to get the money, not necessarily understanding the entire program, the entire essence of what we're doing there, right? And it was now a thing of they were ejecting themselves from other organizations that were there to do work, and they were going to the ones that maybe have a shorter time frame for education, I'll give them the money, or the ones that will just say, you know, I want education, I'll just maybe give you a one-day workshop and give you $1,000 to start your business. And that in itself was almost negating the entire work being done, because what will happen is, so you've missed out on the, the essence of the work, and next year, another group has to come and do the same thing. Another one has to come and do the same thing over and over again, and it just becomes a cycle of, this is the way life is. We just give money to poor people in Nigeria or in Africa or in Ghana, whatever it is. And that may not have the larger effect expected to have, you know, um, in the long run. That's the one part. The other part is you also uh, mentioned, you know, of course, uh, that we thinking that giving this money out would rescind the government from its activities. That is under the assumption that the government intends to better itself, which you know it's a tough thing in Nigeria, or that the government actually you know is bettering itself already. 
But then a couple of sentences later, you mentioned that things are getting worse. You know, insecurity is rising, you know, and I can't help but go back to network ecology because now we say, well, we have to do what we have to do because government is not necessarily doing anything good or doing anything better or trying to improve. But then we acknowledge that things are getting worse. So that means if government is not improving, government is regressing. It's regressing because its responsibilities are being shortened. It's not taking as much responsibility because it feels, well, you know what? Now people can have private bodyguards. Every celebrity in Nigeria has their own security. Everyone has their own whatever it is. So therefore, why should I waste my budget on security? And what do we see? Increased insecurity, increased kidnappings, increased whatever it is. And it is how do we begin to identify the parts, the gaps in the network ecology whereby, because every action has a reaction, whereby if we take one action, what could potentially be the negative impact in other sectors that we may not anticipate right now. Whereby when we say, well, we're gonna give money. Well, we can give money, we can develop this community, but maybe we don't know it yet, but down the line, what's the negative stain it will have on another community or on ourselves in the long run? And that's where I would like to kind of see if you have some, some light to shed. You know. Yeah, all good thoughts. There's a lot, a couple of things there, maybe some assumptions, I mean, I wanna maybe parse things out a little bit. So this this question around you know what why does a government regress and I and I don't mean to belittle the argument but you know I just want to clarify that you know insecure you know the government doesn't invest in security because celebrities are having their own private security right like and 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 I say this I I I call this out specifically because we need to understand the causes of the problems right the causes are inherited and passed down over generations and and are not really accelerated or decelerated by individual stakeholder groups in the states like nigeria is pure strongman politics right that's that's the political that's a political tradition there and it's not just in nigeria it's a political tradition you find in many parts of the world it's pure strongman politics um why why government regresses is not necessarily an action of the positive investments that are being made in their sector by private citizens. I don't think those things correlate at all. But I do think the point about um, we need to be aware of any potential negative impacts of our altruistic behavior is deeply crucial, deeply, deeply crucial. One of the things that I worry about, even with, with this paradigm of giving, is that the people we are giving to become targets, like physical targets of the state. There, there are people who are invested in the down, like people whose jobs are to ensure that good things are not successful. And I mean that quite literally, right? We, we started off by saying, don't assume the person on the other side of the table is a rational actor, right? That people whose jobs are paid to frustrate. Um, and and, and, I, and I, I mean like kidnap, harass and dissuade good actors. So I, as I think about how we're building for the future and how we're building good giving infrastructures. We also have to think about what security apparatus are we putting together? What intelligence apparatus are we putting together to ensure the security of the local investments we're making in these regions? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we need a parliament, parliamentary organization at all, but we need to ensure that the ecosystem that is supporting our local action enables it to thrive. And that means that might mean a, a bunch of things, right? That might mean you need investors on the ground or eyes on the ground who have 
also invest an interest in the security of these projects. That might mean you have your own strongman who you're working with to ensure that your, your investments are secured and the returns are, are coming through. That might mean you partner up with a local church or local mosque in the neighborhood uh, to ensure that th there's social cohesion between the neighborhood and the program you're investing in. And, and this is not for everybody, right? Like this is for the leaders, right? This specific message is for the leaders. This is for the people who want to build the boats that other people need to come on. So as you're thinking about what do we build, you have to think about what ecosystem protects, uh, protects that, that investment as well. And, and it's, again, these, these, these investments will not transform the country overnight. I don't even think they'll ever transform the country. But we need, we need to play a part and we need to socialize ourselves to believe that something is possible because the alternative is that worst case scenario. Um, so these are some of my thoughts around your specific question. Thank you, thank you. So to summarize our conversation so far, we've spoken about what social safety nets are, the forms that they take in different societies, rethinking social safety nets on a local or community level, how the diaspora may support development of social safety nets and how to sustain the impact of social safety nets in our communities. Uh, so now, Adela and Akeri, do you have any reflections on the conversation that we've had? I think, I think one of the more interesting parts in the conversation was how we've kind of thought of social safety nets to be these, you know, super elaborate, you know, government-led initiatives like, you know, trade our money or what's the other one where, where the, there's another one in Nigeria, for example, where they give um, school children food, all, all of which, you know, have their merits and demerits. But to a great degree, um, one of the things Chucky emphasized was, hey, a lot of these things are at the localized level. Sometimes it's women coming together in the market to create like an insurance fund for themselves where like if anybody has an emergency, um, they can all protect themselves. And I think that perhaps, you know, for our listeners, gives you a new way to think about social safety nets and actually makes it more achievable, you know, how are you contributing towards your overall community health and maybe social safety nets are a good way to, to do so. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I definitely much, I very much agree with you on that. Um, you know, a, a big part of my thinking was just also the revelation, well, not more, much of a revelation, but it's um, you know more information and more insights into that phrase where we say we are on our own, especially when we're looking at Sub-Saharan Africa, for example. You know, uh, because through the conversation, there was almost a there was almost this agreement, you know, consensus that listen, the government is inept to a larger degree, and we cannot depend on the government. We cannot wait for them to, you know, be at our aid uh, for whatever reason, and you know, the onus is on us. And when I say us, so not just uh, those institutions that are in like the church and whatnot, but the people um, from those local communities that, you know, feel the need or feel the burn and understand where the shoe fits the most, uh, take charge and step up and uh, begin to account for themselves. So I think that was a very big part for me. And I don't know, I'm still kind of stuck between, is it a hopeless feeling? Or is it a you know a, a hopeful one where it's like well if we have a government we have all these things going with them then what's the use if we can't rely on them to catch us when we fall because we will fall that's the essence of society to keep falling and um, you know it's just it's 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 that kind of feeling at the moment yeah. Yeah, 
I agree with your thoughts uh, from the both of you and thinking about like the community slash local level social safety net programs that can exist. Uh, one thought that comes to my mind is how sustainable are these for the long run? Um, you could perhaps see programs last in five, 10 years, but if there's, if there isn't that federal or government backing, how sustainable would they be for 20, 50 years to come? And perhaps maybe the answer is that maybe we don't need them for 20, 50 years, that they complete the aim of the programs and um, then they're negligible. They, they don't have to exist anymore. But that, that is one thought that comes to my mind. So if we think about the fluidity of culture, um, one of the ways I define culture, I've always kind of understood culture, is culture is a response uh, to any particular time frame in history or any stimuli in history. And, you know, a culture is developed when it works. You know, if it fails and it's not culture. Um, and it's been sustained over a longer period of time because there has been a rigidity in behavior of societies. But, you know, in this era, our era right now, what we're looking at is a shift of culture and it's, it's having a shorter time span. You know, what we knew as the way of life about 10 years ago isn't necessarily the same thing right now, especially with things like women's rights, you know, those movements with, you know, um, indigenous movements, indigenous rights and, and going forward across the world. Um, now, you know, when you raise that point about you know, this program's lasting five, 10 years, and you're very right, it doesn't, it may not have to be five, 10 years. It may not even have to achieve a set goal. It could just create a new idea or create a new dynamic whereby we say, you know what? Okay, we started this model and we couldn't get to the end of it, but we have seen that we have to redefine it or refine it somewhere to go into the next phase. And now it's shorter lifespan. Um, and this is also reflective in the life of work. Look at work across the globe. Um, most people now don't hold jobs for 10 years, 15 years anymore. It's very, very short. It's a very quick you know, environment that we live in. So, um, you know, I think that's a big part of looking at thinking about how we design social safety nets. Rather than thinking of a long-term sustainable development, it could be more of a, and Chuki kind of alluded to this, more of a mindset of the people. You know, so it's not the program per se, but it's the people being responsible, understanding that there is an impetus on their existence to protect one another and shape their communities. So that's how I begin to redefine social safety nets going forward. Yeah. And I suspect to your points that that's probably even helpful for a general, you know, government ethos. Like, I think that's, to, to some degree, we kind of have a bastardized version of, like, our society since it was not born by us, you know, it's basically said, all of you are in our country, you know, some folks ought to rule, some folks don't. Um, whereas a lot of other societies, you know, organically formed to this collectivized idea of, like, oh, let's all, we're all, we've all chosen to be together and be part of the same culture. So we have some responsibility for each other. And then that whittles its way up to, you know, hopefully, quote unquote, leaders that that's, have that same idea that, oh, actually, my, my mission should be for the collective and for us to have collective success and, and to prevent collective failure and things like that. Whereas it seems like oftentimes some of our societies have this very, like, every, everybody, you know, every, everyone face your own, your president is facing his own, trying to, you know, you know, cover his health and, and travel, be a travel blogger, whereas like, you know, some, you know, everybody, and, and that whistles his way all the way down to, you know, the, the, the security guard at the bank that's, you know, is not going to let you go without, you know, giving him some money. I think, I think to your point, I think if we can start to redefine like, okay, what does it mean to be in a society together? 
you know, are we not, are we risk, are we all collectively responsible for each other? I think that's in the long term makes for just better, better societies overall. Yeah, I mean, another point of the conversation that we had and is a big focus of the part two of the conversation is diaspora's role and responsibility. And from the conversation that we had with Chuki, it seems more of our role is on the supporting end. Um, and that's another point of question um, to discuss about uh, more on the supporting end, um, finding what worthy causes, causes that you relate to or you find importance and supporting it in some way, um, more towards uh, financial donations. Um, so if you want to talk about that, what are some of your thoughts on what he discussed in our episodes? Um, so I'll start with this analogy. I think a friend had given me quite recently. Uh, been in a diaspora, um, you know, when you look back home, when you go back home, home, wherever home is for you, um, there's this feeling by the locals there that you don't belong to the future they're trying to build, you know, because you're an immigrant or you're, you're a foreigner, basically. And when you come back to your location in the diaspora, um, the community there don't see you as having a history with them because you didn't share into in, in that build that they had. So you're stuck in the middle. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's that, that small bubble you kind of create for yourself. Um, and I think in, its, in, in that position, we create some positives, actually more positives and negatives, because, okay, now you have the flexibility to decide and to shape how you choose to understand or relate with the realities of both worlds. Um, now, we'll pick Nigeria, for example. During the NSARS movement, of course, the conversation was fixed uh, around, well, you know, police brutality stopping and Buari having to leave office and, you know, just just some sense of decency when it comes to human lives. That was the focus in Nigeria. From a diaspora perspective, from how I saw it, it was an awakening whereby we can protest, we can mobilize you know, we can organize ourselves, we can take charge, we can begin to become responsible. And we saw that through the feminist coalition movement. Um, you know, so it's it's less, I, I would say, we don't necessarily have to toe the line of what people back home are doing because they are doing what they do best based on the, you know, reaction to the environment, immediate environment. What we can do is we are affected by the ripple effects or the ripples of those behaviors. And we can interpret that differently, but how we amplify their voice is also should be in sync with you know how we see or how we perceive that reality. So not doing the same thing they're doing, but also creating opportunities that work hand in hand with them. Because the person who is protesting is not protesting because they they kind of realize they can protest. They're protesting because they're fed up. That that's like the last straw for them. You know, and we seen them protest is like, okay, finally, you guys are awake. Now I can support you with money. I can support you by amplifying your voices, you know, to my parliament here, to the government here, to the other, you know, um, human rights groups here and everything. So that way you're, you're, you're well buffered. That's how we kind of have to begin to look at it. Um, I think we limit ourselves when we try to just go with whatever it is they're doing exactly on ground. Um, we can take that step, you know, to take charge within our own bubble and say, well, we're going to do this because we know it works sync one on with what you're doing. And you may not have the luxury of time or the luxury of you know resources to be able to do what we can do. 
um, we also understand that we don't have the luxury of direct experience, you know, to feel what you're feeling. However, we understand the goal is to move to point B. And that's where we begin to, you know, create a synchronous relationship. You know, I think, I think to your point, you know, the, the conversation around diaspora involvement is always one that deserves some caution just because, you know, you never want to like, one, you don't want to, you can't, you can't just do exactly what they're doing, you know, and then, you know, no offense, I think the people are protesting on ground in Nigeria, definitely protesting in the US or, or Canada or Europe or, or wherever you are in the diaspora. Is also helpful, but I think you know the tactical ways to think about like okay, you know people are protesting now. How do we get them resources and things like that? I think there's another layer there as well with just like if you as a funder, if you as somebody in diaspora has the resources or the time to contribute, um, you know if you can't find local partners, but don't feel. I think people construct a bar that is so high for themselves, so they so they, they so they just don't get involved at all. Um, whereas I've seen that like a lot of people who had a lot of great, fantastic impact um, have done so from the diaspora. Like um, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, we interviewed somebody from we interviewed the founder of uh, Free Sanctuary Um and we have this you know fantastic conversation about how they're you know helping women that are displaced, providing them with sanitary products and things of that nature. And like at the end of the conversation, you know, I don't know how we got to it, but it's like, oh, where do you live? She lives in London. Like she's been doing this around this massive organization, doing this really impactful work from from London, right? Primarily lives in London. And for me, it just showed that, you know, hey, of course she needs local partners and has lots of co-collaborators on ground. But, you know, if that's a linchpin to help it make it all work, it doesn't seem quite as hard. We all have friends back home and family and people who care as deeply as we would. Um, so finding those people to collaborate with is, is definitely crucial and key to the problem. And if that's not your bag, report to resources. Uh, sorry, support to resources. Wonderful. Uh, so I think this is a good point to end our conversation. We hope you as listeners have been inspired, have found new ways to think about uh, social safety nets. Um, and how to engage in this type of conversations and how to support programs that are available to you. Thank you.